Assalamu alaikum Zubair. Thank you for joining me today and making the time for the podcast. Um, you know, I, I'm just really very appreciative that you and many other people have actually come forward from the community to talk about their field, talk about how they got there, and just giving advice to to my listeners who are mainly college kids and early career professionals because um, it's hard. It's hard out there right now. And unfortunately, a lot of the advice that our uncles and parents give us don't work anymore right like the janitor doesn't become the ceo after 20 years anymore that's not that's not the current state of affairs so having professionals who who are still in the field and are you know young enough that everything they say is still relevant uh that definitely helps inshallah so you know without further ado i'll let you kind of introduce yourself i'll be dropping dropping your linkedin in the bio and summary section anyway but uh you know People will probably listen to this first before doing the the LinkedIn stuff later. So without you know without uh, any more said, I will let you introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Muhammad. Um, uh, my name is Zubair Bari. Uh, my formal name is Muhammad Bari. Um, that's what you'll find me on LinkedIn. That's what you see me in professional settings. But a lot of close friends and families, and just uh, just the local community uh, call me Zubair. And um, we could we could use this uh, this uh, platform for this space as well. Um, I've been in uh, healthcare operations for almost 15 years now. Um, I um, started my my academics as an undergrad at Louisiana State University with economics and business, and then I I proceeded on um, in 2009 into going into grad school and getting my master's in healthcare administration and then kind of rose my way into the healthcare leadership sector the non-traditional way right i started off in the boots on the ground clinic staff type of individual non-clinical base so really in the coordinator you know representative those the outpatient clinic has been my space um, for the last 15 years um, and started my role in Houston, Texas, went to grad school in Houston, Texas at University of Houston, Clear Lake, um, where I pursued my healthcare administration degree. And then, um, and then rose my way, started an oncology health system. Um, most of you have, may have heard it, um, and across it's a, it's a world renowned cancer facility, MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. And then that's where I had my first, Kind of leadership role as a manager, and then and then it cascaded into pediatric uh, cardiovascular service line uh, for my first director role in, in San Diego, California. In 2013, I went to Rady Children's Hospital, and then I proceeded back. My last two roles have been back in the academic health system um, space. Um, I was at UC San Diego Health. I was there for almost three and a half years and then now i'm at ut university of texas southwestern in in dallas and where i am currently the uh director of ambulatory operations in, in the in the regional centers and um that is really my professional background i think personally i i have um i'm married with two daughters um, and they keep me busy you know, and uh, really it allows me to kind of balance my professional world into my into my personal world. So that is a, uh, a great feeling. 
a great opportunity. And also in the space of COVID that we've had, there's been a lot of stress, a lot of focus on work-life balance. And I know that um, with the grace of God, it, it gives me that work-life, you know, juggling my kids, my wife, and, and my professional space. So thank you for that. Uh, that elevator summary is where it really means a lot. And I will say this, um, when you when you mentioned uh, Rady's Children's Hospital, actually, I have a friend who who went to San Diego Medical School. I visited him once. Uh, actually, I actually am familiar with that with that hospital, and uh, it's it's beautiful, just like all the other California hospitals. They're all very uh, invested in healthcare. In California, Texas, New York, I think you just see massive hospital systems. I mean, we have the Sinai and the NYU and the Columbia here, and then you guys have like University of Texas Presbyterian and this and that, and uh, then. California is all UC, and then just insert your zip code here, and then we have something there. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think what you see in these in these bigger states, California, Texas, even in the, in the Midwest, either way you go, East Coast and West Coast, you have these academia health systems, and you have the for-profit settings, and you have your regional spaces, more rural areas where you still have to provide the need is there, right, to provide the healthcare and and understanding those different types of operations um, when it all comes down to it, it's patient delivery, right? It's it's care delivery and, and being an operations guy, I, I really just trying to focus in to understand their mission, their vision and what their strategy is and try to fold into it. And I think that's very important as you get into the, in the career world and understanding who your customers are, but also knowing what platform you're, you're stepping into. So let me ask you something. What does a typical week look like for you know a director for U of T Southwestern? Um, well, it's a, it's a combination of things, right? I think we we first live on a in, in any administrator role in a director setting. I think my past three or four roles in directors, you have your reoccurring type of agenda, right? You have normal check-ins with your managers, with your sites. Um, and with your leaders uh, that you need to check into. And that, that comes every, you know, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And so you prepare for that. Um, but the one thing that you have to be able to respond to and pivot to is in any sort of daily operational setting is preparing yourself to prioritize right up the gate, right? As you start your morning, you, you um, and I'm a big lean fan, lean concepts, Six Sigma concepts. We have communication platforms, huddles that we do every morning. And that huddle really gets elevated up when it has to be escalated or to a director level or beyond me into a senior director, you know, my 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 a chief operating officer, vice president, is really understanding what that story is and what is the priority. And then you shift your daily schedule, what you've already planned for the day, what you've already planned for the week to say, all right, let me reprioritize because this is more relevant. This is more important. The biggest thing that I look at is, is it going to impact patient care? Can we give, can we provide patient care for the day? And if there is something, a bottleneck or an obstacle that is being forced up, escalated up, you respond to that first, and then you then then you then uh, move into how you want to bucket the rest of the work that's already on your plate. That you know, prioritize it. Let me do this later. Let me let me get this later in the day, later in the week, things like that. But communication is key, right? I think right out the gate, we start the morning with communication. 
via text messaging, web conferencing, phone calls, emails, and then um, it then starts off, all right, this is my day is going to look like for the rest of that particular day, but then also for the rest of the week. Gotcha, thank you for that. And uh, now let me ask you something, what led you to this career field? Because I'll be honest, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of niche, right? Like people think about healthcare, they think about doctor, nurse, radiology technician, they forget about the office side of things, the operation side of things. Uh, I know this personally, because like this is very few times have I run into people who think about health administration or even honestly public health. So uh, when when did you get the bug that like this is this is my specialty, this is where I want to go? Yeah, that's a great question, Muhammad. Uh, I think where this all started is my undergrad days. I I came into my freshman year in college at, at LSU as a pre-med major, right? And um, I, you know, kind of prepared myself. I had a long line of family members and friends that are in the medical field and the physician route, nursing route, research route too. And as I was, you know, kind of getting into that space, I said, you know, this is, this is where I want to go. I took my first few classes of, of, of kind of the pre-med requirements, right? Organic chemistry, biology, chemistry, and, uh, you know, those basic core classes. And, and I just, it just wasn't hitting right, right? And I think, uh, and as I was in a huge um, academic university, I wanted to then look at it to say, hey, what else is there to offer? So I took a few business classes. Um, and the class that really hit the hit the nail for me was healthcare economics. I took a healthcare economics class and I learned just the basic macro microeconomics of healthcare. And then that then funneled we did a we did a a, a portion of that class was on finance and just you know just basic budgeting as it relates to healthcare economics. And I said, wow, healthcare is a business as well. It's not just clinical. There's a business side of it. And, and that really interested me. So I took more um, business classes and that was sticking, right? That what really drove me into that, that space. So I graduated with a degree in economics and I also did a program at LSU with internal audit and I was doing some operational audit work. And one of my, co you know, uh, some friends who I went to undergrad with, he went on in, uh, to grad school to go pursue an MHA, which is a master's in healthcare administration, along with uh, a dual degree with an MBA as well. And he was just in love with that program. And he and I would be in contact with each other. And he would tell me, like, hey, Muhammad, you need to get into this. This is awesome. This is what I'm doing. And I said, wow, the, that just took that healthcare economics undergrad class and just blew it out the water and just expanded it. So I said, you know what? I think I found my niche. And the, what, and the takeaway from this was that I didn't um, take away the theme of healthcare even though I didn't want to go down the clinical route, provide clinical care hands-on, it still allowed me to be in that space, but my way, right? Um, understanding the business operations piece, how to make this functional, how to make this successful, and how to support those clinical providers, um, you know, in, for their success and for our patient and our demographic success. And I think for me, on a, on a wholesome note, it still allows me to get into the world of 
helping people, right? And I, and I think that was the big construct, big theme that I wanted to focus on is I want to help. I want to choose a career that is providing help. And I think I, you know, when I chose um, healthcare operations, getting into healthcare administration, it really did put me in that position. And to this day, I, I find so many, so great, so much great value in this space. And um, I've had, I have tons of memories, stories, recollections that I've had in, in the last 15 years where um, it really does give me that, um, that sense of, of, of just completion of that in that space. Thank you for sharing that, Zubair. And that's definitely sort of, uh, I love this incidental finding that sometimes happens where people go to college with one idea and then they're able to pivot because they come across another passion. So that's the first like, you know, stroke of good luck you've had. And I wish that for everyone else. Then the second good thing is, Alhamdulillah, you are in a field where you enjoy your work. Some people, they have jobs they hate, but they, they, they're mature enough that they go like, you know what? I might hate my nine to five but it gives me money that allows me to travel or do my passions outside of work. But when you have that overlap where like your work is sort of your passion, you're not hating it, you're enjoying it. Um, honestly, that's just, that's really good luck. So Alhamdulillah, things definitely, you know, worked out for you. So you, you went to Louisiana State University for your undergrad and I know you, you have an MHA. Did you, you didn't stay there. I think you went somewhere else for the MHA, right? Yeah, I went to University of Houston, clearly. Like the reason why I chose Houston because Houston is a huge hub of medical operations, right? They have the Texas Medical Center, which has well over three, four dozen different types of health systems all in one footprint, right? And some of the best um, healthcare institutions in the world um, are happening and, and have originated in Houston. Um, things like uh, I mentioned where I, where I started my employment at MD Anderson, number one cancer hospital, probably arguably for years, right? Decades. And then where the first open heart surgery occurred was in Houston, Texas, in one of the hospitals there, Methodist. Um, so there's so much healthcare history there and just healthcare talent. I wanted to position myself selfishly in that space, get into a program, be around executives and leaders, um, I joined uh, professional committees there, the ACHE, American College of Healthcare Executives, as a student, right? And really just exposed myself and, and saturated myself in that space. But, uh, you know, that that was a, you know, to me was my, my you know, forced entry into that field because I wanted to just completely expose myself headfirst. You know, I didn't want to dabble in it. I didn't want to just, you know, dip my toes in this. I wanted to really jump in because this is where I wanted to go. I knew the stability in, in, the, in the employment there. As long as there's lives in this world, there's healthcare that needs to be delivered. And I wanted to get on the business operations side of it. And let me ask you something. Did you get your MHA right after undergrad or did you work for a bit uh, or concurrently working and getting the degree? How was that relationship? Yeah, so I graduated in 2005 from my undergrad. Like I said earlier, I did this uh, internal audit program and I ended up in an internship working um, healthcare, not healthcare, but more um, claims. You know, your normal property, casualty, auto claims uh, on with an insurance company in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That internship led to a full-time job. So I said, you know, let me get into this and figure that out. And as I was doing that work, it didn't give me that fulfillment, Muhammad. Like that, you know, that was the piece where like, yeah, you were, you were a nine to five guy, you had a real stable income. 
um, and you are doing some professional work, you're leveraging your education that you've, uh, you've achieved in undergrad, but it wasn't really hitting it where I wanted to go. So that's where two, two and a half, three years later, I, I went and uh, took my GMAT, my graduate uh, testing to go to grad school. And I, I then chose to go to um, get my MHA. I didn't want to go um, get my MBA or do a dual degree MHA, MBA for the reason is that I didn't want to leave the industry of healthcare. I, I was set. You know, I was in insurance. They asked me, hey, go get your MBA. We'll put you in leadership. You're going to take on this whole insurance lifestyle, da, 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 you know, all this space. And I said, you know, thank you. Great to see that that potential is there, but I think I'm going to shift my whole focus and go directly into healthcare. And that's what chose me to go to my MHA. And I chose University of Houston to be in a, be in a market in a region where healthcare is huge. And Texas is where it was at. Excellent. And, you know, I asked that question because a lot of kids these days, um, you know, and there's not, nothing, nothing against them because sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. A lot of them are trying to stay in college and then right away do like a master's degree without getting industry experience. And the problem is that like then you're overqualified at 24 and nobody wants to hire you because like you don't know anything yet. But then also you might think you're so such a commodity because, you know, you have your master's at 24 and you're going to want too much money. So like you get, you know, get passed over. So uh, having some industry experience, uh, I think after undergrad, but before master's, definitely it gives you some credibility and also maturity. Like it's good to know in, in the classroom when you're recalling a situation at work that applies to what you're learning. Um, it it makes things make sense, and I don't. I I hope you agree with that. Let me know if that makes sense. A hundred percent, hundred percent, Muhammad. I I feel the biggest piece in any sort of healthcare executive, healthcare leadership is people management, and you can't get exposure to people management if you haven't been exposed to professional individuals and people. Uh, you know, interactions, not only your peers but also your leaders. You, you then get into that space like, hey, I found a mentor here. This is a mentor leader. I'm going to be the mentee, and I'm going to try to understand how, my, how this person operates. I can definitely, I feel motivated to work with this individual or vice versa. Unfortunately, there will be times where you need a leader, and you're like, wow, that's, that doesn't motivate me at all. <laughs> you know? and, and, it's, and, it, and it happens. But going through those life journeys is important because then you start crafting how you want to um, design your future and some people don't even want to go into leadership don't want to go out and people manage but being exposed to those different types of personalities different types of drives gives you a little bit of clearer idea uh, in terms of where you want to go what you want to do and then shift your your career path in the right direction so i, I agree i think industry experience teaches you all that not only the the technical skills, but the the soft skills, right? And I and I and I do that, and I I mentioned that to so many people, and you know, and there's on the other end too, like if folks really trying to get the academia portions out of the way, just be ready that you may have still have to start from the ground level, right? Now it may not be the type of role with the type of salary that you were expecting out of grad school. It may not be a manager title. It may start with an analyst. It may start with a project coordinator. And you just need to work yourself up. You need to humble yourself down into that space. Like basically earn as you get into that as you get into that into that world. 
that's definitely important. And I'll also say this, for those who have already gone through grad school and are just like, oh, I wish I'd worked first. I will say I have seen people who got the MBA right away. While they might start at the same level as people with bachelor's degree, the career progression or the career, you know, the, the developmental opportunities will be available to you where they'll invest in you. You'll be able to rotate throughout uh, the job place or you might be you know, eligible for like a proper coaching and mentorship. So that's definitely something where like it's never, you know, education to me is never a loss, but uh, you got to be strategic. you got to be humble. you got to be patient. Um, don't, don't expect to like come in directly at the manager level. If you don't know what the lives are for, you know, for the people you're managing. Absolutely. Totally agree with you hundred percent. I, I, I second that type of uh, thinking. It's, it's, you know, knock out your academics, knock out your, you know, the, the level of degrees you want to get. It, it, if anything, it sets up your hiring manager to say, all right, this person is ready for the next level because they've done the academic piece. So if they've hit that piece. Now I, I, w- I would personally would, would mind investing into this person in terms of mentoring them to the next level of, of, of work uh, type of opportunities and challenges. So let me ask you something. Um, you know, you, you went to a few different health systems. Do you find the way healthcare is approached in Texas versus California uh, on the operation side? Like, is there any difference or did you feel like everything I'm doing at Houston translates well to San Diego? Um, it's just a different workplace, but it's the same type of work. Um, no, I, I think to a certain extent when it comes to providing the delivery, and, I, and I've done more ambulatory work, so that's out, ambulatory being outpatient clinic work, outpatient you know services. The delivery piece, the technical piece, not really a, a, a difference across the areas. I think the, the, the understanding that, that I've developed working in California, working in Texas is, the patient population, um, the the type of leadership structures there are. I mean, in the academic medicine, it's it's highly highly matrix. How matrix it is, whether it be you know a, a larger kind of a VP a portfolio that's out there, um, how how the departments are set up, who how decisions are being made, who's involved in there. Um, that is a that is a difference, and even in academic centers, it changes, right? And so I think understanding the different spaces of how to get things done, where to go to get things done, who you need to talk to to get influence, and who you need to influence to get things you know moving um, is important. But the the value that I've gotten in, in in working in these multiple health systems is that is to say, oh, I did this in San Diego. Let me see how I can. If I can use this type of model, this type of you know method, to see if this will work just the same way. If not, then you will learn something in your new institution, to then and use that as a learning opportunity to say, okay, well now I have two different you know plans, plan A, plan B, in terms of how to execute this particular deliverable. So to answer your question, it 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 gives you a different flavor, right? It's just I I can basically I'm a, I'm a foodie. Right, so you basically like your 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 disco desserts, your ice creams, right? I, I love ice cream, right? And you have different flavors, and it's just it's the same thing. It's a sweet, delicious drink uh, treat, but the different flavors of you're like, okay, this kind, this one, you know, let me let me go here because this is what this is what this what folks here will like. This is how they would appreciate it, and vice versa. I think understanding your your demographic, 
in any space, whether it be healthcare in any sort of professional setting, but also how the structure is set up, especially in the level when you get into like that leadership role, when you get in, even in that in the in the you know middle management entry level professional role, understanding your audience is key, and then you can execute your deliverable, whatever it is, um, in, in a successful manner. And let me ask you something with, uh, you know, when you look at your peers, do you find that in healthcare, or at least at UT Southwestern, a lot of the people at the director level, VP level, are they folks who once upon a time worked in a clinic, like they were individual contributors? Or do you see people who are like sort of successful in another industry and then kind of made their way into management in this industry? So, and to give you an example, I know a guy who was a VP in an automotive company. He recently just got a job in an agricultural company with like, you know, selling the big machineries and stuff. Different industries, same level. How does it look like, at least in your workplace, right? Does everyone, has everyone started in the bottom or have some folks kind of skipped into management because they were good somewhere else? It's a bit of both. Um, I think I've seen, I've seen the, the route of kind of starting from a, a bottom level, entry level approach and then work their way up into leadership and then get into that space. Then I've also seen um, individuals like you just mentioned who are in a different industry, but on the same type of technical work and they jump into it. Um, for example, I think the biggest piece that I see of the, the changes in the industry working in the same type of title is in the finance side. When it comes to finance, accounting, you know, the, the numbers, the money management, the way that works, it doesn't change industries. It's just how it's delivered, how it's, handled how it's managed and what's what's more important what's the focus changes in healthcare and auto and banking and all that i mean i've worked with individuals who've done zero healthcare um background and they have a finance background and, and they they were successful in their finance world but as they come into healthcare they're they're seeing they're seeing where the revenues and the expenses lie what's driving the revenues expenses. And that's where they would work with operators like myself. Like Muhammad, tell me about why are we why are we spending so much on this particular expense? And then I said, well, in order for us to get to the higher revenue of say surgeries or interventional work or things like that, we need to spend this to kind of work these patients into this, into this type of intervention. And and that really kind of senses, it, it gives that perspective. So I think the biggest thing is when you get into those individuals and that talent that are in different industries, um, is being able to be open-minded to understand, all right, you were, you were selected for this role for a reason, right? Understand what that reason is and then, and then channel that, that, that technical piece that they have, that talent that they have and see how they can operationalize it in your space and vice versa, right? I, I've worked with, Banking exec executives and automobile executives who come into um, healthcare, and they're they, I, I pull some of those jewels out. I'm like, oh, I can use that. I mean, I mentioned earlier me being a big lean guy, big Six Sigma guy. It started in automotive, right? It, it started in in the automotive industry just to work the factories, and it's now being pushed across the nation um, in the healthcare sector because of the lean thinking, the waste, the, the elimination of waste um, and how to do things um, in a more efficient manner. So I think there's there's jewels in every area, but when you meet those talented individuals, it's just pulling some of that information. And, and I think this, this is where it all starts with that communication, how you relate, how you 
how you um, collaborate in that space and how you communicate amongst each other to, to pull some of that information. Gotcha. And let me ask you something. UT Southwestern is uh, it's a public teach, academic you know, teaching hospital, right? Yeah, it's a state hospital, right? It's with, with affiliated with the University of Texas. So it is a, it is, it is a three-tier model, like a normal academic system. You have your teaching, your education, for, and then you have research, and then you have your clinical care piece. So question for you. Uh, how, do you how do you deal with uh, you know, red tape and bureaucracy in academic centers? Because I'll, I'll give you my take. I've worked in community hospitals where they, they move quickly. They just don't have money. Then the academic centers have money, but they don't move quickly. And when you have like the bit, you have the big umbrella with the medical school and the hospital, and they're working with each other, um, making sure that integration happens. That that can be difficult. And then I've worked with hospitals that were private, affiliated with the medical school, but they're actually separate. They're not under the same umbrella, and that's even worse. Making sure everything integrates well and credentials are shared and information is is seamlessly, uh, you know, you know, just. Uh, moving across each entity. So how do you deal with bureaucracy in an academic center? Because I know how complicated they can get. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of patience, right? Um, and I think that's where you have to continue to, you know, put yourself out there to let the, build that type of communication platform, those bridges. I'm a big fan of bridges, right? I think there's, uh, with academic hospitals, I've worked with I work at systems that have joint venture relationships, right? We, we do a joint venture relationship for, for, with a for-profit sector, being an academic, non-profit type of sector, build that bridge to say, hey, we're both, on the, we're both trying to do the same thing. We're both trying to provide um, healthcare. We're both trying to be profitable about it. And we want to make sure that it's seamless so these patients who are utilizing our services don't feel like they're lost, right? And I think communication is key there. Um, but the biggest thing is knowing who to communicate with, right? And, and I think that's the, the chess move you have to play, is to know who are my, who are my, who are my customers, like that's what, it's gonna, what I end up doing, who are my customers on, 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 these, on these matrix leadership levels to say, how can I get this particular deliverable done in an efficient and effective manner? And then having that clean communication, talking through those, an open dialogue is key, right? establishing confidence and trust to a certain level um, and aligning that, that the vision and the directive are, are the same spaces. This is what I'm trying to do. What are you trying to do? Because my biggest thing, what I do is I, I, my, my leadership style is servant leadership, knowing that I, I really serve at the, you know, at the, at the level of my team, at the level of my leaders and at the level of my stakeholders. Right, and I want to make sure that whatever decision that I make, the communication is there. Folks are involved, and and they're they're understanding what the what the end goal is. And I think having that, you know, open dialogue and an active dialogue with your stakeholders is key to the success of any sort of deliverable, uh, whether it be a joint venture relationship, whether it be collaborating with uh, another health health system or sector of, of your services um, it's really it's really important that we communicate um, and and if we're not able to get these the messages across you then you can find a way to to either work with your leader uh, or work with your partner to see how we can get that deliverable done 
absolutely communication is key and i want to actually make the point because i talk about communication in a lot of my podcasts and i want to also take a break and mention it here because i've noticed some of my listeners they just come in because they're like a friend or family of the person i'm interviewing they have never seen anything else so i, I if i repeat myself for the regular listeners that's the reason so communication i, I want to tell the listeners right communication isn't just uh talking like people think communicating is just like exchanging words it's it's more really the exchange of thoughts like if i have a conversation with someone they should leave the conversation knowing what i wanted them to know like there has to be you have to use that empathy you have to change your perspective like when i approach a conversation you have to be able to be like okay i'm talking to someone who knows nothing let me you know if i didn't know anything what would i want to know and uh you know sort of like eli5 like on reddit you have this thing called like explain like i'm five that's how you should talk to your stakeholders uh, so communicating isn't just, you know, being able to speak the same language, like English, we're speaking English, that means we're communicating. No, we're talking. Communication is when they leave knowing what you want them to know. And uh, as someone who works in IT, I've gotten really good at this because a lot of my stakeholders are non-technical folks. So I have to, I don't want to say dumb down because I might insult them, but I have to sort of just change my approach in such a way where they leave knowing what I want them to know. So communication is key. And you're hearing it from me. You're hearing it from other guests. Project managers have said it. Engineers have said it. You're also hearing it from Muhammad over here. And, um, you know, Muhammad, let me, let me ask you something. When it comes to up-channeling of information from your reports, I mean, you're working at a, at a high level in an academic center. Um, you know, how many reports do you have? How many indirect reports do you have? And what does the reporting structure look like? What tools are you guys using, like Teams or Slack, if you're allowed to share, like to, to make sure yeah. you've got what you need to know? No, absolutely, absolutely. I think so. I have in in all my areas that I've worked in, not only with UT Southwestern but at the director level, you have site managers at all your sites, right? And I've this is my second role, in kind of working in a, a a regional space. You have site managers at all at your sites, your core sites. There, you're you're making sure the lights are on, patient care is being delivered, staffing is there, providers are there, patients are comfortable. And then in there, you have supervisors and then coordinators, and then you have just general staff. Um, and I mean, the largest FTEs that I've had in one, in, in one um, role that I've had, this recent one that I'm in right now, is over across my sites, I have over 175 FTEs, right? One has, my largest site has 100 and, almost 120. And then I have one that has about almost a little over a dozen. Then I have some another site that has almost 50, 45, 50 staff. Um, I first, you know, I'm a big fan. I mentioned to you about servant leadership. And I think where servant leadership takes a great um, amount of, uh, there's a lot of um, focus on, is visibility, right? Um, being available, being visible, being approachable, but also having that open door policy, um, it, it's it's achieved through visibility. You know, what you don't want is, hey, my director doesn't have time for me or my director, this is not something my director can handle. But if you're taking the time out of your day, however you, you, you manage your week, taking times out of, the, out of your week to be visibly on site with your manager and with your team, down to the floor level staff, this, the day-to-day staff is key to the success of that operation. And I do that because I came from that space, right? When I was a patient coordinator doing scheduling appointments for my cardiologist, my pulmonologist, and Emily Anderson, 
my manager would would round, right? Rounding is key. Uh, checking in to make sure things are okay. Um, understanding what the problems are, but also not only just kind of high by how you doing, but really actively jumping in to say what's going on, and then you would be able to explain in real time what it is, and then that manager can then take it up to director, director can take it up to the VP and get things done in a, in a timely manner. I use that type of method, that type of construct in my my world now, you know, and and I don't plan on uh, uh, leaving that. And that, and it, what to say that things happen, you have to be on one side of town and you have to be in one space and the other. That's where we leverage technologies like Teams, text messaging, video conferencing. And those are great and highly effective methods of communication. But I do feel like there's a balance, right? You want to make sure that um, even though you stress how important this particular deliverable is through a teleconference or to a phone call or text message, you actively being there on site, whatever times of the week, whatever times of the uh, of, of the month that you can, and showing that visibility is key because then it humanizes you, right? And, and it allows you to, to then have that uh, cleaner dialogue and uh, more engaged in the you know, team members because uh, that's that's the importance in terms of executing right is to make sure that everyone is aligned everyone is I, I always go to the same my analogy is being the same drum right we may have different drums around but we're, we're all beating all want to get to a level where we're all beating the same one you got to give me the drumstick let me beat on this one too you too and we're all thinking the same way and then whatever's going down at ground level, it's 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 being also um, visible on the executive level. Thank you for that. That is very insightful. And I'll say this where you have a way with words. I mean, you had that ice cream example before and the you know drum example now. And for everyone listening, when you use similes, metaphors, these these imagery, uh, that's actually a very useful literary tool. And stakeholders love it. Just just like they love, you know, dashboards and graphs. Like when you're you know, orally speaking making these sort of examples um, that helps that helps a lot so you talk about visibility when it comes to your employees that is so important i want to now talk to you about visibility when it comes to stakeholders so for example in the daisy community i don't know if it's as bad down there but i know here our parents tell us just do your job you come early you leave late do your job don't be loud about it don't be showing off don't be like i did this i did that be, you know, be humble, just do your job, do your job, do your job. And if you do a good job, your manager will notice. But I think there has to be a balance where you're not telling your boss every single thing you've done, but how do you remain visible enough? Because as someone who, you know, in the workplace, if you're like not visible at all, when it comes for layoffs, God forbid, or termination, like they're going to go for the guy who's anonymous, who they don't even know what he does. Like he doesn't share anything, talk about anything. How do you maintain just enough visibility with your stakeholders that they know how valuable you are, but without kind of being in their face about it? Like, where do you find that balance? Um, it's, and that's, that's a complex, it's a hard question. You know, I think it's understanding the personalities and, and, I'll, and I'll be transparent with you. I think it, it, it's a challenge every time, right? Um, I think knowing your stakeholders, and I think that's the challenge with academic and you know, medical centers, there's so many stakeholders, just tons of VPs. You know, I, I probably talk with a little over a dozen VPs in my role now. And I think making sure all of them are aligned 
it can be a challenge, but it also it 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 allows you to understand what is it who needs to know, but then it's a learning opportunity. I mean, I look at academic medicine as you're you know we 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 focus so much on teaching, we focus so much on you know that that academia piece. I use that in my career world, right? To say, okay, I need to learn. You know, there's leaders coming in, there's leaders going out. All right, what what are their agendas? What are their understanding? What do I need to do to make them make them supported and valuable? And then in the end goal, and and really, it's it's if you're working with certain senior executives, you're working with certain managers, and they have a deliverable, keeping them informed. If they if that conversation is happening. Clarify what they want to hear. Like, okay, so how often do you want me to update you on this? And what is your best best method of communication? Um, some will like things, you know, down to the detail. Like, Mohammed, text me as you're making headway on this. That way we're aware. Or um, they'll call you before their meeting to say, hey, I'm going into this meeting. How are we with this particular piece? Being available and being um, approachable and being able, arming them with the appropriate details as they get into their 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 spaces is important. But arming them and, and understanding what their style of delivery is is important as well. You know, and I think and, and that comes with you know as you continue to grow into your role, as you continue to understand your role, and obviously in the healthcare world, we had um, three years ago we got hit with a major curveball right and how we had to respond to that and never through getting ourselves out of it but there's still some things that we have to meet right, in order for us to um, be a, you know achieve and be successful and i think that's uh, that's key you know and i think um always go back to communication but also understanding what the needs are to your stakeholders and how to best communicate to them so you stay visible visible and on target thank you for that you know, I I get the feeling that in your field, people would have to be extroverted to thrive. Do you do you think that that personality type is the one that really makes sense in your workplace, or have you seen any introverts or people who are kind of quiet, you know, kept to themselves who are still able to make it to to the high level? Because I know there's a lot of anxieties and uh, fear in the younger population that I feel like I didn't grow up with. I've noticed there's a lot more introverts, so the word actually gets thrown out more than I remember as a kid. I don't think that term even existed. Um, do you feel like being extrovert is really the only way to be successful or is it still possible for people in your workplace that you've seen to be introverted or kept to themselves but still make it, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Before I got into a leadership role, I was an introvert. I didn't really talk much. I just kind of put my head down and got things done. And that's how I was when I worked claims in auditing in the insurance company before I went to grad school. Um, I think the, the piece is trying to be comfortable to speak, right? Having a, a space to open your mouth, whether it be to a group of people, to a single person. Um, but having some dialogue is important, right? I think even if you're a data cruncher, um, you, you're, you're in there building things, you know, on, on, a, on a computer, you're, you're, you have this extreme talent um, in getting into the financials and things and you're just a like a forensic accountant and you're just you're killing it in, the, in that space how you deliver that report out is important right and i think having arming yourself with some level of public speaking is important 
you know, and not only if you're talking just to your boss, talking to your colleague, or talking to a group of folks that are reporting under you, um, you I think sp spending some time, investing some time in public speaking is important because it, it only makes your delivery in terms of whatever you're working on a lot easier, more constructive, and more value add, right? Um, so I, I highly, highly recommend the the younger younger uh, students who are getting into the career world to take a public speaking class in college or or invest in a program that has some public speaking type of talent. If your employer offers that, jump into it. It's un uncomfortable at first, but I feel having a voice, having a platform to be able to just kind of get your point across is key. And it may lead you to a promotional role, but or it may lead you to something more technical, which you enjoy doing. So your day-to-day -day work would be, you know, you know, working solo, working autonomous, but having that platform just to say, hey, reporting out to your leader for annual evaluations, you know, how do you go about doing it? You could write information down, submit it to your boss in terms of how you perform, but as you're having that one-on-one -on -one dialogue with your leader, how you um, relay that, deliver that is important. And I think having some level of um, public speaking background, which is just just some basic skills, is is key. One hundred percent. And I want to actually make a notation here that uh, at Rutgers, I actually took a public speaking class. It helped a lot. And I'll tell you, um, public speaking isn't just being able to to speak in front of an audience. Uh, you also need to be com comfortable fielding questions. So if anyone here practices like a speech with their family or something like that or friends, I'm telling you, get a big group together. And um, but more importantly, please let them. You know, ask you these mock questions because I've seen people who deliver a great presentation. Question comes up, deer in the headlights. Not a good look because that's what people remember is uh, you st stammering or this and that. And and don't be shy. I'll be honest. I I work at the executive level. People ask me a question I don't have the answer to. But all I have to say is let me reach out to my resource. I'll get back to you. Right. A simple response. I don't have to say oh you know I didn't look into that or I I, I don't know. So public speaking isn't just the speaking portion, but also. Uh, Kind of the challenge, right? When they ask questions, that that's what I think throws more people off, and that's a weakness I worked on, which was being able to field field surprise questions, having these automatic responses over time, and that's a response I actually use a lot, which is let me reach out to the resource and get the granular details because I just have the topical overviews, and I'm sure you're the same, right? It's elevator pitch, like you just you get the information you need to know. Like not everyone's telling you every little bulb or this and that that needs to be replaced. They're telling you, hey, at this site. All of this, you know, needs to be replaced. Just the the big numbers. And the key, the key to that is like you know, getting that. Hey, let me get this clarified. I get it to you. It's the response time, right? It's being able to get that answer, get it quick, and get a response over because that theme, that subject matter, is still in that you know the the audience's head, right? And you want to get that information done timely so that a decision can be made if a decision is being discussed. So, no, I totally agree. I think. And then to how not only to present, but also be prepared for particular questions. I think the general questions that being armed with that answer uh, or where to go get it um, is important. And then you just then, uh, you know, whatever you can't answer, whatever you don't have the true answer for, uh, responding back in a timely manner. So I know it'll probably be on the Wikipedia page, but uh, UT Southwestern, like I know it's a huge academic center. I was in Dallas. How many? outpatient sites, ambulatory centers, are there in the Dallas area that are under your purview? 
So under my purview right now, um, I have three regional sites that I support. Um, there's over eight, eight to ten in, in regional sites out there in the DFW network. Then you have your main campus. Um, so I think as as healthcare in certain areas of the region, and I and I, and I had the same type of uh, exposure in San Diego when I worked at UC, uh, UC San Diego, University of California, San Diego. We had North and San, North San Diego and South San Diego covered, and we had two regional hospitals. We had the main hospital in North, North San Diego and La Jolla, and then um, South San Diego in the, in the Hillcrest area. And then you have arteries, right? You have uh, regional sites that are either single specialty, multi-specialty. Um, and, and I think that's the, that's, the, that's the flavor that's happening across the nation, right? You have these regional sites, regional centers, for, and it's really about patient convenience. You don't need to have... You know the patient demographic driving downtown to get the academic subspecialized healthcare that they deserve. They can go to a regional site, start their care there, and if it requires them to go to a main campus type of set situation, because that's where all the uh, subspecialized care kind of delivery is in terms of equipment, supplies, personnel, um, then you go to downtown, make it so you have a true reason for it. But yeah, so I I, I think. In my spaces, in a normal, a healthy kind of director portfolio has at least two, two to four regional sites that they support, and then as you get larger and larger, you then start getting into a a, a higher leadership role. They'll go senior regional uh, director or VP status, where you then have directors under you who have those specific areas. Because I mean, when you have a site, multiple sites for two to three and well over 100, 150 FTEs, that's a lot, right? And then now you're, you're being stretched, and what you don't want to do is dilute that, um, what, you've, what, you, what brought you into that level, and uh, being able to be thoughtful and being attentive and being, um, being a resource for your team. And if the more, more you take on, um, that's, 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 it becomes a challenge. And, and not only that, it, it impacts you, you know, in terms of your production. That's important. So long term, what uh, what about the UT Southwestern system really resonates with you and your philosophy? Because you do talk about delivery, and I do know that Dallas is a very diverse area where um, there's a lot of socioeconomic crossing happening. Like you have people who are underserved, they're underinsured, then you have people who are well-to-do. Um, so you mentioned the mission of, of the system, but is there anything more beyond that that kind of has tethered you to the Dallas area? Or, to, or kept you at UT Southwest and that you're like, this is the employer that I could stay here for 40 years and retire. Like, this is the place, just like our parents did. They found that one place and then they stayed there forever. Yeah, you know, it's, it, and that's, and that's, a, that's a tough question to answer, Muhammad. I think uh, as, and, and I'll be totally honest with you, I think, you know, getting into a, a university uh, academic model is, Obviously, there's there's so many positives about it in terms of getting into and, and making this your your career job and, and spending here for the rest of your life. It all it all depends on where you want to go into um, into your healthcare scene or whatever professional scene you want to go into. Um, as long as there's going to be challenges there for you and you have the right leaders that are going to continue to mentor you, because I'm still going to be a student, right? I'm not. I. I you know, God willing, you know, inshallah, like if if I have my health, I have my if I if I can still continue, I I want to grow, right? 
and I want to make go into the next level. And I think a, a health system like UT Southwestern would do that, right? Um, and there's there's models like that across the nation in different spaces. So I think being able to invest and understand how the operation is set what the future opportunities are, but also what are we doing to respond to the challenges that are coming on a day-to-day level, like we have COVID as one, how we responded to that was beautiful. UT Southwestern was phenomenal and and we just, the community embraced us. And and then now we're pivoting into a post, post-pandemic era and now healthcare delivery is changing. What, how it's going to change, we're gonna see in the next few years. But that may change your focus in terms of, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to jump into this. I'm seeing across the nation a lot of folks are doing it, and I can probably help the space. And you then getting back, you get back into a student kind of mentality. Okay, let me see how I can help with this particular piece. What I'm trying to say is, you know, going to a stable, a strong employer like a UT Southwestern, to either the UC San Diego, to another UT program. Um, MD Anderson being another one that I looked at is is great in terms of stability. Um, but I what I do want to let this generation know that that are coming up in their career workforces be open to pivot. Right? If the challenge hits you and you're like, that's a challenge I want to take on, take it. You know, if it's a calculated risk, right? Make sure you're not making a risk where you're just going to fall on your face and fail. You know, do your due diligence, right? understand what this is going to do for my career, but also for my well-being. Understand, you know, not only just the role that you're stepping into, if this is the right role, but what is it going to lead to? That That's where that vision, mission, strategy comes in. They, and people will ask you in an interview, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? I'm like, you know, I, I'm, what I would turn back and say, you know, I would like to just grow into the mission and strategy. And so that's where I would go to see where the, wherever the strategy and the vision goes in five years is where they, how I respond to it. And and I think we're entering that that world where there's going to be a lot of changes, right? Um, this is probably not our last pandemic, you know? This is probably not our, our, our last, you know, healthcare, you know, um, situation that we have to respond to. But something's going to happen. And whether it be through the economy, whether it be through healthcare delivery in my space, that we want to be ready to understand, learn it, and then, and then, and then you know, pivot into it. So I, I think just this, if, if stability is what you're looking for, I think a large system like a UC Southwestern or healthcare operations is, is, is great. Uh, I, I, I don't think that is a, a, a unsafe decision at all. But I think if you want to continue to be challenged, you see other other avenues opening up. Don't shy away from it. Look into it, and and you know as you're learning your role, as you're learning your place and your space, um, ask those questions and say, "Hey, I've done this really well. Let me see what I can do in this other in this other world." That that is actually that's excellent advice, and you know people. That's that's really important. Is that you know when you're young, you're you're, you're so eager to take risks, but due diligence is important, and stability is uh, so stability is critical. Like I think when I was younger, I was just all about the adrenaline, move here, move there, you know, just flying by the seat of your pants. If that's the saying, I forget how it goes, but yeah, stability, long longevity, that's something you definitely want to look for. Uh, 
shoot, I had a question that just slipped out of my mind. Uh, oh, yes, I wanted to ask you, you know, going back to your education, uh, the MHA, I've noticed it's um, it's a very specialized degree. It's a degree specific to health system. Is there a reason you chose that over like maybe an MBA with like health administration electives? Uh, it's a very, it's a very you know specific question, but I know some people split hairs and they go like, should I get MPH versus MHA versus MBA? Like these are real questions I've seen on online. Uh, what made you decide the MHA? Well, you know, I, I like I said, uh, I mentioned before, I didn't want to jump out to other industries. Like I wasn't interested in going into banking. I wasn't interested in oil and gas uh, or anything else. So the MBA route really didn't seem something that I wanted to jump into. The program that I had was they had an MBA, MHA, or, or a dual degree, and that's and that's really just the, the program at University of Houston. Now, I do see other programs that are out there that say get your MBA and then get a healthcare focus, um, and then you have MPH, which is public health, um, and I think public health um, there's there's been a lot of focus on that primary care with you know the the epidemiology you know that's that's being published out there all that all those findings with the last pandemic that we've had there's been a huge that's been a huge public health phenomenon that we're responding to um, but getting into that more primary care model instead of getting into a tertiary primary care model which is the getting you know those folks that have an active diagnosis or have self subspecial needs like cancer as, as an example, that's where you want to be able to understand. Okay, I want to shift my 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 academic you know path that way. I, so to answer your question, I chose the MHA route because I wasn't going to jump outside of of the healthcare industry. Um, there are pieces and components of the MBA that I, that was that is taught to you at the MHA level, but as you get into the workplace, as you get into the work environment, you work on finances, you work on variance analysis, you work on spreadsheets um you're you're you develop that skill set you know and, and how you how much you want to develop is really up to you right instead of being just a true operator just to get clinic operations moving and going you need to have some level of financial backgrounds and acumen in that space and i think you you earn it you learn it with those um mbas and with those um directors of finance with those individuals that have cpas just a true true heavy finance background get those get that information get that talent and and, and soak it into your day-to-day -day lifestyle and day-to-day -day work style and then you you just press on and I, and I absolutely love it i mean i think without any operational decision not having any sort of financial component or financial background behind it it's it's a tough that's that it doesn't give you the full full story right and then this not only gives you the, the stakeholder buy-in, you're going to get your CFOs aligned with you if you're actually addressing the financial piece um, and not just going straight down the operator route. And I think that having a, a mix of both worlds, if if somebody was going to go and say, hey, I want to get an MBA to and an MHA, if you want to invest that time and effort into your, into your education, go right ahead and do it because you're not sure I want to be a, a full-on operator or I want to go into the site CFO track, go get both of them. I mean, I think that's fine. Um, but if you're unsure, I think the MBA route is probably the more, more conservative type of safe approach because that way you can jump into both sides, um, but be okay with it. 
that's definitely sound advice. I echo that. And I have seen people who are sort of, uh, they don't, they want to be industry agnostic. So they get the MBA because it's more versatile while MHA is more specialized. But what I love about MHA is that um, I've seen people with MHA have a little bit more success than MBA because the hospital systems, the, their employees invest more in them because they know this person's, they've committed to healthcare, right? They got the MHA degree, a degree only that has value here. So we, they invest in them more and they have these, um, you know, administrative programs. Actually, uh, I've noticed people who have to get an MHA Zubair, um, they have to do these administrative fellowship programs. Did you have to, did you have to do that? And, and do you know, like, what is the purpose of them? Cause they're like two years long. So I yeah. find that very interesting. So, so just to kind of speak on that, if, if, if individuals are really interested in healthcare and they haven't had any sort of healthcare background or it's like job experience, as we've talked before, highly, highly recommend doing an administrative fellowship. What this does, administrative fellowships gives you a dose of all the spaces in healthcare. Um, the, the, the ones that are at these larger academic centers, even private, uh, private healthcare centers, centers, they give you, um, rotations across all parts of the, of the healthcare scene from supply chain to nursing, to the inpatient world, to the outpatient world, to, um, ancillary services and service lines. Like they have a cardiovascular service line, a MSK service line, musculoskeletal service line. To put you in those places, or a financial service line, working in working with the CFO and all that. I think it's key. If healthcare is where you want to go, healthcare operations is where you want to go. Administrative fellowship gives you a dose of all the different glimpses of the healthcare operations, and then then you can target your end goal. And this is where I want to get into. I personally did apply for administrative fellowship. But at the same time I was applying for my administrative fellowship, I was offered a promotional opportunity as, as a manager uh, running a clinic, oper clinic operation. So, and that's normally the track. So um, this, if, if a healthcare, if an administrative fellow right out of grad school gets into a fellowship, they complete their fellowship and the healthcare system wants to keep them based off of the work they've done through their fellowship and the projects they've been tasked to, they'll, they'll, they'll hire them a, into, into the fold and give them an opportunity to grow into a, hey, get you an entry level manager role, here it is. I, you know, you know, was fortunate enough to just get that right out the gate because I was going down that coordinator route and I, I, I achieved my, the minimum requirement, having a, a master's degree, achieve that. And I was still working, and then my my leader, my director, and my senior, my VP, did see my work, did see that my intention was there. So they offered me an opportunity to get into leadership. So that's why I bypassed the administrative fellowship. But I highly recommend it for those individuals um, who are uncertain where they want to jump into the healthcare scene, because the healthcare, the administrative fellowship will allow you to kind of bring more um, clarity to where you want to go. And I know some are one year, some are 13 months, 18 months, some are 24, but you, usually they're, they're normally paid um, fellowships. So you do get a, um, you do get a salary. It's not the greatest in some cases, but, but I think the investment, the return is if you do a good job and normally those who end in a fellowship end up getting secured for a good job because it's a really competitive selection process, um, highly recommend it because you invest in it, you do well, you'll end up getting a full-time role that is that is to where you're trying to end to in terms of a leadership position. 
the, the administrative fellowships definitely have a lot of potential. And like you said, I actually see huge retention rates with people who have done them. Um, and I, you know, just a shameless plug, uh, you, you know, New Jersey has a public hospital, just one, unfortunately, it's called the University Hospital of New Jersey. Um, fun fact, every university hospital is called the University Hospital of something. Ours is the only one. I don't know if they trademarked early enough. It's literally, it's legal name is literally just University Hospital. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they have an administrative fellowship time to time is two years so anyone in jersey or the tri-state looking at this should definitely consider it and i'm not just plugging it because you know i'm a new jersey boy you know born and raised um i think public hospitals you you're definitely going to get an exposure you're not going to get in a private setting it's not just a shift in priorities because yes healthcare delivery is the end goal but uh, the the approaches and perspectives you'll get on the public side of things i think are a little bit better um, and you're definitely going to develop more uh, insights versus the people who have done these administrative fellowships and like private settings but that's 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 my shameless plug um, I don't know if you you agree or disagree Mohammed. I agree with you and I think you know I mentioned the uh, ACHE organization for those who are interested in healthcare administration join that I think that's key the uh, MGMA that's another um, organization and they have plugs of different fellowships uh, that are out there across the nation. So whatever school you're going to for grad graduate um, graduate school, you know, look into your 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 local area, local geography to see what institutions are offering administrative fellowships. Normally, if you get onto the websites and, and search administrative fellowships, they have something. I know here at, in, in Dallas, we have we have I know. Obviously, UT Southwestern has an administrative fellowship. Baylor has one. I believe Medical City has one. Um, there's an HCA fellowship. Um, so I think going on a, pl a platform like ACHE or MGMA will allow you to kind of cascade that net and 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 push pull that and, and pull that net out there to see what's out there, what what's available. Um, and some folks, you know, I, I participate in some of the in most of the administrative fellowship interviews and. These are students coming from all across the nation, right? It's not just localized in a, in a, in a regional level. I think it's across the nation, uh, depending on the fellowship program. And uh, I highly recommend it. Um, it's not going to be a waste of your time. It's only going to provide you value and clarity in terms of where you want to go. 100%. It's, it's, you know, education is always worth investing in and pursuing more and more knowledge, especially in a structured setting, like a fellowship where you're rotating. You're gonna get exposure to areas that honestly, once you're working professionally, like you might not be talking to this other business unit that is outside your purview, but you wish you knew what was going on behind the curtain. And when right. you do this fellowship and they rotate you everywhere, it it's helpful. It's 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 helpful. Um, I know at University Hospital we had like a lab manager, and he actually liked that in the fellowship. Like some some of the kids actually have to spend time kind of learning how the labs like operate, um, because he would get frustrated with executives who are just like, how come like you know. I, outcome how come like the, t the the waiting times like the doctors are always complaining the lab is slow lab is slow i need the result i need the result and these executives they have no idea just the limitations that they have like if a test if a chemical needs 90 minutes to sit it's gonna take 90 minutes i can't magic you know but the you know he's retired now i forget his name but he he was so appreciative of the administrative fellowship program because he's like i i appreciate that the next generation of managers are gonna actually know how we work, why we're, you know, quote unquote slow, like we're, you know, we're doing our best, right? It's a hospital, we're very busy. Um, you know, let me ask you, Muhammad, right? when people think of healthcare, I think they think of the ER, they think about uh, 
uh, chaos. They think about, um, you know, long nights, uh, crazy schedules. What's the work-life balance for, for someone who works at, at the director level, right? At the level with a lot of responsibility. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're in an ambulatory setting, even in, you know, I can, I can talk about both because I've, I've worked in inpatient setting when I was in children's. Um, it, it's really, your Monday through Friday is your biggest, right? It's a seven, eight is, you know, 5P. Normally outpatient operations, the clinics open from eight to five. You know, sometimes they start a little earlier and a little later, extended hours. So seven to six, let's just say Monday through Friday. Um, you don't, unless you have an inpatient focus or you have a, a, a you know, you, your director or your leader of an inpatient setting and you have on-call services, um, you normally have a, at a director level, you have managers in play. Now, if you have vacancies in those manager positions, you step in and support it. Um, and really, it's it's manageable. I think anything that you need some specific help on, you don't have to drop everything on a Saturday to be there. Now, when I ran, we, when I, I can give an example, like there, then there's specific needs, right? When there's, like I mentioned, vacancies, you have to step in until you secure that position. Right, and and that that is a limited time. Um, recently, we've had the a few years ago we've had COVID, and I think and I, one of the things that I ran and supported was a vaccine operation. Right, we ran vaccines, and it was a it was a seven day a week, twelve hour a day operation. But I wasn't particularly there seven days a week, twelve hours a day. Um, I was really attentive Monday through Friday, but on call and available via phone. Um, or text messaging on Saturdays and Sundays for those site support, you know, whoever's supporting it for the Saturdays and Sundays. And I think that's, that's key is, is knowing, you know, what, which operation you want to do, what's better for your work-life balance. If a Monday through Friday type of space is what's healthier for you, then you, you likely will be totally okay on a Saturday, Sunday after, you know, uh, off and not being, being uh, interrupted. But, there will be days, depending on the season, depending on the time of the year, that you'll have longer hours. And that's with any job, right? You have deliverable deadlines you have to meet with any project, with any sort of deliverable, any industry, and it's and it's seasonal, right? And I think that happens in, in healthcare as well. Um, and those who run hospital operations, those have any sort of inpatient portfolio, they will be on standby for any sort of particular urgencies. Normally, what, the biggest thing that I do is on my Monday through Friday day-to-day -day, um, is making sure I'm arming my team with the resources and, 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 and the information they need to be successful by the, on their own and, and understanding what those questions are. And you'll have to go through a couple of learning opportunities to say, okay, we could fix this. Uh, you get a Saturday call, hey, Mohammed, what are we doing here? I was like, all right, this is how we should handle it. This is how we should move forward. That Monday hits. Let's address that so it's not going to be consistent, right? We used to have, when I ran vaccines, we used to have, um, you know, essentially just step in, um, you know, every weekend is a rotation of different leaders coming in and supporting them on Saturdays and Sundays. And I would make sure that first weekend, the second weekend, whatever issues rose, that Monday through Friday, I was making sure that we armed that into whether we build a something, hard, you know, um, you know, something that's, uh, hardwired like a, a standard operating procedure an sop or a person specific policy that you've gotten approved that way it's set in stone it's granular it's invisible to the team so that issue occurs again they can respond to it so it's um 
it's going back to my lean thinking, you know, it's continuous improvement. And I think that is the key is, is how can we continuously improve, improve and, and, and make sure my team members are supported if I have to step away from the operation, if I have to be out of town, if I just need to take a day off, that they can come in and do their job, be supported, be armed with their resources they need to be successful. Thank you for that, Mama. That's de that's definitely that's definitely a lot of lot of uh, you know context, which is helpful because I know work life balance is like that's one of the things people are thinking about these days. They're like, is this gonna be nine to five, or I'm gonna be a, you know, am I gonna be like a doctor where I'm working all night, I'm waking up in the middle of the night, or I can't go on vacations? But you're you're you know you're not a <laughs> you're not a prisoner by any means. It actually sounds like you you have a, a good situation at UT Southwestern, and it sounds like they take care of their people, which is great. Uh, and I want to say, you know, you you don't spend all your time in the office when you're in administration. Like I, um, if if people are interested in getting out, like you'll you'll find a way to get out. Like what I like about University Hospital is, uh, you know, when they do blood drives, it's the it's the MHA folks doing it. When they're uh, doing community health fairs, right, where you can get like a free physical or something, you know, talk to a doctor, see a professional, get your, you know, like you said, vaccine. Like there's. If you want to do some field work or you want to get out there, like we, they have buses that go around doing these these blood drives. Sometimes, like you have the opportunity to do so, and that's what's exciting is that it sounds like you're not just in a you know in front of your computer all day. If you want to get out and about, engage with the people, it looks like the opportunities are there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, there's there's really multiple avenues you can. Uh, there's and and if operations is not your thing, financials is not your thing. You want to get into business development strategy marketing, um, all health systems have some versions of that, you know, we have a whole team that does marketing and do these type of, and they, and those are like your truly extrovert, you know, individuals who get out and speak to the community, speak to the, the regional, like outside, you know, outside positions to say, Hey, how can we help you do this? If you're good at, if you're strong in that space, or if you have a marketing background, you want to get into healthcare. There's your, there's your niche, you know, and I think business development, hey, I've got a financial background, and I can definitely talk through how I can make um, different businesses profitable. Maybe business development or financials is your piece. So I think healthcare, you know, people just focus more on the clinical route, like going to look at my MD, my DO, my RN, you know, my technical background, but they don't see the other side of it, which is a whole variety of spaces of marketing, business, operations, uh, and, and, and development, and, uh, and, and community affairs, right? And I think that's where those, who, who actually even like going into like the politics side of things, right? We're representing the, the, the city, the county, getting into healthcare allows you to get into that space and say, hey, how can we help you to, to what, what is your community needs? And then you represent a particular health system, and then you get with those senior operators to say, hey, this is what, you know, North Dallas is needing. And uh, based off of a marketing you know, assignment that I did, and then you feed that to your leadership, and then, then they'll start having those strategic discussions on how they can support you. And that's the great thing. Like you said, there's just so many verticals in healthcare. Like you can really, you can find your niche anywhere. And marketing is definitely, marketing in healthcare is, uh, honestly, it's huge. Uh, for example, I know the VA is just so bad with marketing because people think of the VA as uh, okay, I'll go there, I'll get my wheelchair, and then I'm done. Or I'll go there, I'll get a prosthetic, I'm done. Uh, the VA, like when I was with them, they were like, man, we have 
primary care here. Like you guys should be here for your OBGYN stuff. You guys should be here for your GI. You guys should come bring your kids here. We have pediatricians. Like the VA system isn't just like, okay, you, you, you leave the military, we patch you up and then bye. Like never see you again. Like they, because their marketing just isn't there. They don't have the billboards. They don't have the benches in New York City. They're not on the buses. So marketing is definitely, it's, it's, it's something I am a little bit weakened but I recognize its value and marketing and healthcare is definitely, it, it's huge. Like people know a hospital, people think of hospitals as ER, they don't understand. Like there's a lot of outpatient services available. There's a lot of affiliations and, and clinics you can come to, accessibility is there. So it's good that UC Southwest, you know, UC Southwestern um, definitely emphasizes marketing and it's definitely, it's good that you mention it because I think people think of marketing as like, I don't know, Facebook ads for games. No, yeah. you, you, you really want to get to the people and just tell them, like, we have all these services. We got a new cardiac center. We have a new bariatric center. We have this. We have that. So that's that's definitely key. And it's good that with an MHA and healthcare administration, like, you, there's so many verticals you can go into. And when you go into a large academic center, like, uh, if, you, if you're done with the accounting and you go, like, you know what? I want a breath of fresh air. Okay, talk to your boss. See if there's a, a, a translational opportunity, you know, if you can do, like, a lateral move somewhere. Uh, or honestly, maybe sometimes even like sort of an indirect promotion where you jump into a higher level in, a, in another department. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's key. How many, how many competitors does UC Southwestern have? I know, I think the Baylor, Scott, and White, I don't know if I remember their name is, uh, is it, I mean, is it just like one system that you guys are competing with or is there like a lot of variety and choice like we have in New York City? No, I, I mean, there's, there's several, um, Systems that compete with the same uh, patients, same specialties across Dallas Fort Worth. It's a, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge uh, network, right? It's a huge city. There's multiple smaller cities within the DFW area. I mean, you have a lot of for-profit um, sectors. Um, we're the only academic uh, center, but you know, you mentioned Baylor, Medical City, HCA, um, just to name a few. Um, even on the pediatric side, there's, you know, there's different pediatric hospitals here. We affiliate with Children's Health because our, the, the physicians that work within Children's Health are UT Southwestern employed um, physicians. But, you know, it's, it's really, and, and I can speak to this on my academic medicine background is a lot of that, a lot of the, the general care needs you're, you're, you're competing with your other other systems out in the community. But when it comes to subspecialized work, like those, you know, those sub-subspecialized, you know, diagnosis that maybe they, you know, the, the community hospital, the rural hospital, or the regional non-academic hospital is seeing maybe one in a, in a, in a, in a small frequency, your normal academic centers have seen, they see them more often. Right. And so they know how to tackle it. They know, I mean, I can speak to my own family that had a particular diagnosis. And when we went to a, um, a, a, a non-academic local hospital, a local facility, they haven't seen that in probably, uh, you know, several months. And like, oh, I, last time I saw this was this, but this, 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 you know, this time period. But then when you go into the academic center, they went to the, their academic center they said oh yeah we see these about a few a week and so they know how to respond to it they have resources to drive it and, and provide the intervention so i think and that's where you see that connection happening with the with the specific physicians that engage with our academic practices 
And the reality is, silver lining is that a lot of the, the private practice physicians, a lot of the for-profit physicians that come into the community may have trained at that academic center that they're, they're, they're competing with, right? So, but to, it just it just really it depends on the type of needs are and 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 what the what the what the work is entailing. But you know there is competition out there for the general uh, care needs, but when it comes to the subspecialized needs, normally the academic centers are, are the ones that excel. Uh, let me ask you, you know, what, what advice do you have for college kids? Um, I mean, how to be successful, maybe even in, in college, if you have any studying tips that you remember this many years later, what, what advice do you have for people in college and then people who are, who are graduating or in early career, like what advice can you give them that, that is sort of universal or, or helpful? Like for me, I'm always just like communication, be proactive, build relationships, get to know people, present, you know, PowerPoint, Excel, all that stuff. No, I think I think as we're getting into the age of leverage and technology, um, not being a stranger to that, you know, you know, basic things like you know, just some general Microsoft, you know, Office talent, uh, whether it be PowerPoints, whether it be Excel, um, how you want to utilize you know, basic Word to to, to 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 kind of write write you know, and write content, publish content. I think the reality is we're not writing on pencil and paper anymore unless we're taking notes. Yeah. Everything is being done in a typing format. So, you know, expanding your typing skills, making sure that's at a, at a, at a you know, at a reasonable level where you can get things done. Um, but to your point about um, keeping an open mind, I think the piece that I would highly recommend is if you are looking at a specific career avenue, join professional organizations. Um, and put yourself out there, whether it be an internship, whether it be a volunteering activity, expose yourself around professionals who are doing the work so you can learn to see, is that something you want to do? I think that's key. Uh, reading a book, reading a publication is, is, is valuable, absolutely. But I think getting, um, pushing yourself, putting yourself out there and, and, and exposing yourself with, with the professionals who are doing the work, who have done the work, um, is is important because then you get to see that okay, now that it's tangible now, right? You're like actually seeing it, you're feeling it. And you're like, all right, this is something I can possibly do. Let's put this on the side and keep looking into it. But investing that time, invest, making that effort to get in front of those folks, and you can do it at a volunteer level, an internship level, like I mentioned, um, is key. Right? And 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 joining those organizations to kind of put yourself out there is, is key as well, because then it gives you an informed decision on where you want to go. The advice that I like to give is just get out of your comfort zone um, and and not just getting behind a computer or, and searching things through Google, but really join an organization, uh, whether it be affiliated with your school um, or in your community and expose yourself with uh, individuals. Because I know there are seminars for for college uh, students, there's um, that happen all the time. I can just speak for Dallas. I even saw it in Southern California. So it's just finding that niche, exposing yourself, learning. Be a keep continue being a student, not only in the not only in the academics, but also in the community. So you get to know, like, hey, now I'm making important as well. A hundred percent, I agree with all of that. And you know, I think that mindset shift is is important where you. You need to understand, even after they hand you the diploma, like you're still a student. You're a student for the rest of your life. You have to change for the rest of your life. 
uh, and definitely professional organizations. That's something I I did. I think later in my career, I wish I'd done that earlier. Uh, meeting with like-minded people, meeting with people who I can grow with. And when you go to these professional groups, I mean, if you're meeting people who maybe you can't leverage them now, like I know some groups are just filled with like college grads and they're just like, how can we help each other? We're all entry-level folks. Keep those relationships. It takes years to become friends. And guess what? Like seven years later, these guys are going to be directors who can help you if you're in a bind, right? Like that's why that's why in every workplace, I always try to be nice to everyone because I knew like the analysts today are the VP of IT, you know, 10 years from now, right? right. You have to think longitudinally and, and uh, be open to learning new things. Like you got to be a lifetime student. I consider myself a lifetime student. I, I have a mentor. I am also a mentor. Uh, to a lot of folks in the Dallas area, weirdly enough, like I have a few kids in New York, but most of my mentees are in, in Texas. Uh, also, most of my listeners are in Texas, which is a funny, which is a funny thing. Like I advertise here. I have uh, promotional posters. I have like little advert cards and uh, stuff that I hang like in Patterson or New York at the Muslim businesses. But somehow, you know, alhamdulillah, uh, Texas, the Dallas area, I mean, people are hitting me up on WhatsApp, like, hey, Mohamed, I just caught your latest episode. Hey, Mohamed, thank you for this. And I'm just like, why are my New Yorkers out here? But alhamdulillah, I'm just happy that, uh, you know, I'm happy that brothers and sisters like yourself are taking the time to, you know, inform the next generation. Because when we educate, we empower. And when we empower, yeah. alhamdulillah, like, that's the impact we want to have on our on our youth because i remember being like you know i'm in high school i'm i'm going to juma and i'm talking to uncles and i i'm like becoming even more scared because i don't know what to do so when people make time and they show me my options or they show me their journey and i think about where i am and where i want to head out like it it gives it would give me a sense of ease being a student and that's what you know that's what's great about this is you work for a service-based uh you know service-based uh enterprise um, you're all about giving back and alhamdulillah this is another way to give back and I just I appreciate that philanthropic spirit of yours so thank you absolutely uh, absolutely I think uh, as being a Muslim too right it's this is an opportunity to give back uh, in whatever shape you can you know uh, you know but gives us the, the ability to get in, in space and if, if we're not sharing that then you know what are we doing so yeah. I, it, uh, it's important to to give and receive, you know, and I also try to receive information from my mentors, and I'll, and I'll likely develop more mentors as I continue to go down my career track. Well, inshallah, with, with that said, thank you so much, Muhammad, for making the time on the weekend, no less, right? You're, you're making the time on your free time, so I thank you for that, and uh, inshallah, hopefully I'll I'll be down in the area visiting Usman, and maybe we can hang out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You take care of yourself, all right? All right, likewise, brother. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum.